Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the Sustainable Development Goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoyed today's SDG Talks podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody tuning into the SDG Talks podcast. Today's episode brings us into a conversation with Lance Kittle, who is the Associate Director of the Inland Ocean Coalition based in Colorado. You heard that right, the Inland Ocean Coalition. So Lance is basically trying to support local communities that are not anywhere near the ocean or anywhere near the coast into actually um, supporting the ocean and protecting the ocean and conserving the ocean. He does this through various programs all across the states and internationally. Really showing how a community that lives nowhere near the ocean actually, be it through farming or be it through um, an agricultural runoff into rivers or waste into rivers and lakes and all these other bodies of water which eventually lead to the ocean, uh, how actually these inland communities can and should play a a vital role in protecting our global oceans which underpin uh, a lot of society and where we get a lot of our food and energy um, and climate security from. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with uh, Lance and, and please do check out all the links below. Yeah, you're good to go. Okay, awesome. Well, um, <clears throat> thanks for coming on, Lance. Um, it's great to have you here on the SDG Talks podcast. Uh, you are the Associate Director of the Inland Ocean Coalition in Colorado, um, and you coordinate the national and international programs there towards ocean protection. And I'm really wondering what the inland community side of things has got to do with the conservation of the oceans. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, James. I love talking about all of these issues, and they're really pertinent issues as the world continues to evolve in certain directions in certain ways. The idea that inland communities do, in fact, take in ocean protection is really not a new concept. It's a part of the systemic approach to uh, environmental protection and conservation. Uh, Being able to conserve water resources aids in the health of our ocean, being able to reduce the amount of uh, pollution that enters our waterways from inland communities positively affects our ocean. So thinking of the ocean from an inland perspective does require a systemic view in being able to see the whole picture of what's going on. And inland communities have so many different aspects of of protection and conservation that they can add to the ocean protection side, right? So uh, from a legislative standpoint, a lot of our constituents, uh, their representatives are involved in ocean protections in one way, shape or form. And those forms take many different forms, right? Uh, We also Mm -hmm. try to, to show people that just because the ocean is not right there and right in front of them, uh, that doesn't mean that they don't have an impact in Uh, both short and long-term circumstances, right? So uh, agricultural practices that happened in the heartland of the United States have an effect on our oceans, um, mostly due to the chemical runoff. But it's just Mm -hmm. another example of how these indirect ties do affect the overall health and protection of our Mm -hmm. oceans. Mm -hmm. 
And so what's your approach to engaging an inland community and, and how does it work uh, across different sectors? Are you looking at farmers specifically? Are you going for government? Is it a whole, yeah, I'm sure you, you have an approach. Yeah, well, our approach is varied and we really try to uh, pursue different prog- projects or program goals from different frames of reference as well, right? So. Uh, we first tried to engage inland communities. And <laughs> let me back up. Let me just say that uh, one of one of our biggest goals is introducing the idea of ocean protection to inland mm. communities in the first place. Mm. Because mm. Uh, kind of as you mentioned earlier, it's not a direct correlation that a lot of people make on the flip of a hat. You really have to kind of dive into it to actually see where some of these effects are happening and what is causing the effect to happen. So uh, our, our first communication with inland states is to to introduce the idea that they do have a stake in ocean protection. Uh, From there, we really take a look at what some of the community is involved in, whether that be an agricultural community, whether it be a a watershed-based community, if they're located on a river or a large body of water. Uh, And then we, we really try to focus on what are some of the issues that that specific community is facing and how can we go about lending aid to make these topics more pertinent and more of a conversation item rather than just leaving it up to our political leaders to Mm. assumedly make the correct choice. Uh, We want people to be just as engaged with making those decisions as well. So how how have you been engaging with communities in Colorado? So Colorado is our founding state, and we're really lucky to be here because there's a lot of like-minded ocean people in Colorado, surprisingly Mm -hmm. enough. Um, We have taken several different approaches uh, from the small scale, which could be as simple as a creek cleanup, spending the afternoon removing waste from some of our creeks and rivers and streams here in Colorado. We also take it on more of the policy side and engage with our political leaders in the House of Representatives, as well as our senators, uh, trying to educate them and and lend the opportunity to uh, teach them more about these opportunities to vote pro-ocean in a sense. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we span the entire spectrum. I think mm-hmm. that our engagement efforts can be felt from, you know, a simple two hours spent hanging out next to a lake and just enjoying the fact that there's water <laughs> to to making some of these these larger calls uh, in Washington DC and trying to engage our representatives and and through this whole approach of you're doing the small practical things and you're going to the policy level are you also engaging youth quite a lot through the, these these methods we are yes we have a active partnership with the watershed school in Boulder Colorado and we are coupling their hard science data-driven sampling efforts with some of our creek cleanup efforts. So we're engaging on the elementary through high school level. And we also have university chapters, which are a bit more of a leadership opportunity for uh, college students to participate and activate within their respective communities, the idea that the ocean is in fact an important resource to all of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so we're really great at at spanning the scale, right? We do take focused approaches in some of our areas, but we also understand that inland ocean protection is a relatively new topic, uh, at least to a lot of people. So we we keep doors open and we really welcome 
uh, diverse language, um, hearing from people that aren't often heard from, as well as building on the skills of the people who volunteer and participate with our organization. And so through this then, do you also, you're working with the other states, is there chapters in each state? How do you work as a national and international organization? Yeah, so we have 16 chapters throughout the United States currently. And the way that we go about engaging with our chapters is acting as a hub for not only information in regards to ocean protection, but also a hub for community calls to action or opportunities for some of our volunteers and chapter leads to engage with the broader ocean community. Uh, mm -hmm. This is definitely taken the form of a lot of webinars and virtual engagement opportunities in 2020. But historically, we've been able to send our chapter leads to Washington, DC. We've also been able to bring them to some of our uh, conventions, like the Inland Ocean Action Summit that we held in Dallas, Texas in mm -hmm. 2019. You know, we try to engage on a national level, but we also want to offer opportunities for our localized chapters to engage within their communities. So mm -hmm. again, that sliding sense of scale to be able to dictate what would be pertinent in your specific region, how can we help you engage on that topic to some of these larger scale issues as well? Mm. What have been some of the what have been some of the things that you've been really proud of, or the, the real successes that you've seen throughout your time working and before your time uh, with mm -hmm. inland communities? So one of our greatest accomplishments just in 2020 was the launch of our uh, Inland Ocean Ambassadors online certification program. And this really opened the door for us to easily engage virtually with people across the nation. We've been able to graduate 25 ambassadors so far with another anticipated 25 at the end of the cohort in December. Uh, and, you know, outside of that, it's really just engaging people on these ocean top states. And it could be through any of the ways that I mentioned earlier, or it could just simply be the fact that ocean issues are being reported on more often in inland communities than ever before. So mm. these topics aren't just limited to coastal areas and they're really making their way inland. And we have some great people who represent our organization who are able to proactively speak on the importance of ocean conservation and protection in those inland states. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine with this, there's also a bit of a challenge. Um, I'm sure it's not always easy trying to promote ocean advocacy, especially you know, given that there's people advocating for all sorts of different things, um, how do you try and put the ocean, you know, first and try and bring it into people's minds when they, for quite a lot of people, they're thinking <laughs> we are, we couldn't be further from the ocean? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's honestly one of the hardest questions that we come across within our work is how do you introduce the idea of ocean protection to a community that has absolutely no connection with the ocean? And I think of it in two different ways, right? So we have an indirect pathway of connection and we have a direct pathway of connection. The independent pathway of connection comes more from tying in ocean protection into maybe land stewardship topics. Similar to how we were discussing about agriculture, we mentioned these ideas that, uh, you know, this certain causal idea that's happening inland is, has, is having an effect on the ocean. Right. And and trying to create those linkages between ocean effect and inland causes. Right. Mm. So that's our indirect way of forming these connections. And then the direct way is more so related to 
being able to pinpoint a specific effect or a call to action that will affect the ocean, that has some stake uh, in an inland community, right? So it could be in relation to fish harvests and sustainable mm -hmm. fisheries and the fish supply within an inland community is being directly affected by the fish stock at the ocean. Mm -hmm. So there's two different levels to it and there's a bit of complexity built into both of them, but we try to go about it pragmatically and really incorporate everyone's ideas and efforts and notions into the overall sense of protecting the ocean. Mm -hmm. And then do you, do you engage then with other international actors like other countries or is it a strict U.S. focus? So historically, we have been focused primarily in the United States. Uh, but this year is going to be our first break out of the national organization into the international side. Uh, we have a project campaign partnership that's being developed uh, with one of our um, one of our really well spoken uh, partners in Kenya, uh, and the project is aimed at increasing the economic value of water hyacinth in Lake Victoria. So we're taking an approach of reframing and reformatting how people see a noxious weed in one of the largest bodies of water in Africa and turning that into an economic viable option to recover from the change of, of the uh, environment and ecosystem of Lake Victoria. Mm. We really like this idea because it's empowering a community that is nowhere close to us to maintain and and really build upon the stewardship of their own resources and how they can make the most out of the situation. Uh, Inland Ocean Coalition does a great job of empowering people and we love it even more when we see people turn that empowerment into action. Mm -hmm. And are you would you then help raising capital and funding and finances for these organizations internationally, or do you have that already within your own organization to to give out? How does how would that work? Yeah, so we're acting as a partner for this project, so we'll be able to process any funding that comes through and uh, distribute it back to uh, the boots on the ground who are yeah. making this this dream a reality, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so our partnership is a bit strategic in how we're implementing it, but we want to ensure that we're creating the most productive and effective environment for all of our partners, not only the ones that are based internationally. Mm -hmm. Really cool. And what do you think might be the biggest sort of risks to the ocean then from inland communities? And where do you see going forward? What's the most important thing for the coalition to focus on, but also citizens and communities and you know, all of us to be thinking about? Yeah, um, I think the most tangible item would be plastic pollution. And this mm. goes without saying every community throughout the world is struggling in some way, shape or form with plastic pollution. And it goes back to the idea of the saying reduce, reuse, recycle. We've all heard it. We're all very familiar with it. But the recycling aspect is kind of the, the easy way out of the situation. Mm. And there is actually a hierarchical order to reduce, reuse, recycle. The first goal being to reduce the amount of plastic packaging and waste that we produce, right? And not only as producers, some of the large companies that are using plastic in their packaging, but also on the consumer side, uh, reducing the amount of plastic that we buy with our dollars in the sense of voting for your dollar uh, mm. sends a great clear message. Uh, mm. And then 
we also move down the scale from you know reducing to reusing and and this is very much up to everyone's discretion on you know reusing plastic and the potential benefits or negative side effects from that but you know recycling is at the bottom of the totem pole and the fact remains that less than 10% of plastic worldwide is actually recycled most of it just ends up migrating from landfill to landfill until it inevitably either stops or is dumped into the ocean or makes its way into one of these mega landfills that we often see so mm. plastic pollution is one of the most critical items that we can address and i'm not going to say that plastic is uh, bad right i mean given the time that we're in with covid 19 single-use plastics have aided the health industry significantly and without that we can't guarantee um, some of the benefits that plastic provides us right but mm. we do have to go about thinking of a more systemic and pragmatic solution to the amount mm -hmm. of plastic that that we consume Mm. Uh, and and that starts simply with looking inside your refrigerator or your cupboards and seeing how much plastic is actually there. And the next time you go to the grocery store, see if there's alternatives, right? It's the simple yeah. steps. And if everyone yeah. takes a simple step, it adds to the overall equation. Who who should, and I totally agree with so much of what you've said there, and, and especially the points about um, how little that actually gets recycled. Living in Denmark, I know that most of it just gets burned um, and they just waste to energy. And then in the UK, I think a lot of it gets had historically landfill had been shipped off to other nations in the global south, um, mm -hmm. which was then kind of shut down, I think, two years ago, which caused a bit of an uproar. But your your last point there with the when you open your fridge, uh, also completely behind. And I'm wondering your thoughts on who do you think should bear the burden of that responsibility, us as the consumer or the producers? Um, and, and maybe it ties into the work that you do with the coalition. Do you engage with like, plastic manufacturers or plastic users? You could say like, for example, Coca-Cola or whoever else. What's your stance there? Yeah, uh, plastic pollution is absolutely a production issue. Uh, if you see the end of the plastics life cycle ending with the consumer, we can't assume that it will be responsibly handled. Uh, the the burden of dealing with packaging should indeed fall upon the producer, and the producer should be more looking into a um, circular economy model, right, which mm -hmm. reuses or recycles into new packaging rather than ending the life cycle with the landfill. Um, building a circular economy model is incredibly difficult, but it is a goal that every nation should have. With that being said, there's already so much plastic that's that's just sitting out there. And once we're able to tackle our current plastic production issues, we have to retrospectively analyze what to do with the rest of the plastic pollution, because that's not going away. It's just mm -hmm. going to become smaller and smaller microplastics. Um, our coalition specifically works more with legislation re revolving or regarding plastic pollution. Uh, like the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. We're also looking on a kind of more macro scale, um, the 30 by 30 resolution to save nature. Uh, but there's a lot of plastic legislation that's currently happening in the United States. And, and that's almost one of the most impactful ways that an inland state can affect the ocean. Uh, our Wyoming chapter is working on a plastic bag ban, which would eliminate single-use plastic bags or 
provide a tax on using that as a service, right? And then using that funding to help mitigate some of the plastic that's found in some of our, you know, native environments. Um, so, you know, Colorado is doing the same thing with polystyrene and single-use plastics. There have been discussions and there's been a little bit of movement with legislation there. So overall, we, we prefer to support the legislation that helps mandate or at least guide in the direction of a circular economy or at least being able to better recycle our plastics at the end of the day, whichever comes first. We're not picky. We just want mm -hmm. something to happen. Um, so, so I totally agree. I think that plastic production falls on the producer in terms of mm -hmm. liability. And I think that we have room to move forward with a bit more responsibility on the producer's end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and through trying to achieve this with legislators, then do you, do you often come across other plastic type packs with other organizations? Just when you were speaking there, I got thinking of things like the Surf Riders Foundation and um, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation have set up a new initiative. can't quite remember the name, but do you engage with these other types of organizations and partner up and do joint activities together? Absolutely. We find a lot of uh, communal ground with a lot of our partners and we do have a fair amount of partners throughout the United States. Uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned Surf Rider there. There's some of our best partners. We've hosted webinars with them and we've been able to work really closely with them. But on the larger scale, uh, we do work oftentimes in conjunction on campaigns which involve plastic, right? So our first in-house program that we, that we worked on and spread throughout our communities was the Suck the Straws Out campaign, mm. which effectively uh, eliminates, you know, Pr providing a plastic straw without being asked, right? So, so just being mindful of how many plastic straws are being used in bars and restaurants and uh, trying to engage the owners there to reduce the plastic footprint that they have, just in terms of straws. Mm -hmm. uh, we have some larger goals that we would like to integrate kind of under the same framework. But yeah, we, we love our partners. We love working with them, especially on plastic pollution issues, because in this context, there is a lot of power in numbers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, completely. And I really like that you gave that example of the plastic straw initiative. And it is just trying to hit it from all sorts of angles. And I, I used to work in for a long time in bars and restaurants and stuff. And I know what it's like just seeing the amount, uh, carrying the bins out at the end, just like, what is all this? It's just ice and plastic straws. Like it's, <laughs> it is just crazy. Um, well, then, what would you say to someone, someone listening here who's... Um, who wants to do their part and they're, they're from an inland community and they don't surf. So they don't, they don't know why they should care about the ocean. <laughs> what, um, what steps can someone take or, or what, what advice would you give to someone um, sure. towards ocean conservation? Well, there's, and just kind of like you said, there's so many different ways you can go about it. Um, from the Inland Ocean Coalition side, we do offer our Inland Ocean Ambassadors online training uh, virtually. Our next training is coming up on October 22nd and applications are due October 15th. Outside of that, you know, browsing our website and just communicating with us as staff, we're more than happy to help either facilitate a connection with one of our partners or consider any in-house steps that we could help to uh, grow an idea into a campaign or mm. a program. Mm -hmm. uh, on, on more of the global scale, I really think that simplifying your view of 
sustainability is one of the most critical things we can do at this point. Uh, there's so many different ways to get lost in the weeds on, you know, oh, this is plastic number five. Do I recycle it or do I have to take it to a separate facility? Or do I have to sort through my glass at the end of the day based on color? Simple education steps like that. And, and really Google at, at this point is one of our best friends with, you know, some of the common practices throughout the world. But, but just educating yourself and making wise decisions on choosing plastic packaging over a more sustainable solution or, mm. um, you know, rather than walking by a water bottle on your morning stroll with your dog, just pick up the water bottle and put it in the trash. It's again, it's those super simple steps that we can mm -hmm. all engage in. Uh, just to be more mindful of the environment that we are in and the environment mm. that we're creating for the next generations as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's not going to be the actions of one national or one initiative or one big governmental body. It's the, all the actors, every single individual, local community and citizen around the world that's really going to bring about this change. So Absolutely. I just want to say, you know, super thanks for coming on the podcast and talking more about the work that you guys do at the Coalition um really happy to be sharing this and hopefully there's some people out there listening who who really want to get involved and um join the ambassador program you were saying that there's going to be the next one and uh, sort of block of enrollment is this month is that something that happens on like a regular uh, every quarter or every year or? yeah yeah so i know that that's that deadline is coming up pretty soon but we will be offering the training four times uh so once per quarter in 2021 as well awesome Cool. And it's all virtual. Is that COVID related or is that? <laughs> it uh, it's, COVID, it's COVID inspired, uh, uh, but we've really found that we could leverage the the fact that everyone is kind of working in a virtual space to bring in as many people who are ready to engage as possible. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, I'll be um, more than happy to share all those details in the description below. Great. Uh, and just wanted to say thank you again. And I hope you have a great afternoon what time is it there two o'clock <laughs> uh yeah it's it's just about noon here and, uh, <laughs> so it's about lunchtime but i really appreciate the opportunity james it was a great couple of minutes to speak with you and uh i look forward to chatting with you again soon Thanks for listening to the STG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow STG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash and United Nations community. The goal of STG Talks is to bring you value. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on STG Talks.